Welcome back to another episode of Thompson Hines Environmental Laws podcast. My name is Joel Eagle, and I'm a partner in Thompson Hines Environmental Practice Group. In case you're new to the podcast or forgot, LAWS stands for Land, Air, Water, and Safety. Our episodes cover current topics in environmental health and safety laws, as the name suggests, um, from the perspective of Thompson High and attorneys, the regulated community, consultants, and occasional regulators. In our last episode, our partner and environmental practice group leader, Andy Kolasar, spoke with John Simon of NARIS Advisors on the current landscape of PFAS, which, as most of our listeners know, is always changing and a very hot environmental topic. Rivaling PFAS as a hot topic is ESG, which is what we'll be talking about today. I'm happy to be here with my partner, Heidi Friedman. Heidi co-leads Thompson Hines ESG Collaborative and is a fountain of ESG knowledge. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Joel. Thanks for being here. Yeah, fountain of knowledge. Wow, pressure's on. <laughs> well, you've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years um, getting smarter than pretty much anyone that I know on ESG. So why don't we just dive right in? And um, set the table. Tell us a little bit. Uh, tell us what ESG is before we get into the specifics. Sure. So unless you've been sort of sleeping, I think, and and not reading any newspapers for the last several years, um, ESG is everywhere. And although probably the number one question I get from clients is, is that just sustainability? And no, the answer is it's not. Even though sustainability is a component of ESG, it's just one part of what I like to say the entire umbrella. So what ESG does is bring a lot of pieces for companies and businesses together in order to respond to stakeholder requests, needs, desires, etc. The E is what you and I know best, what everyone probably listening to the podcast knows all about, things like carbon emissions, um, GHG reductions, recycling, all of those good things, managing your toxic waste, etc. Social historically was focused a lot on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, now includes things like wellness initiatives, you know, pay gap, employer retention, um, employee satisfaction, all of those kinds of things. Also, forced labor and, and human capital are really hot topics under the S. And then G is governance. It's historically a lot of what we consider sort of SEC governance, but it includes female directors, risk mitigation, shareholder engagement, executive compensation. So all these different pieces, parts are these non-financial factors that come under the umbrella that our investors, customers, and other stakeholders use to assess a company and whether they want to invest or participate, how valuable they are, and how profitable they are. So I, I want to get to. There's so much there. I want to get to how how <laughs> is lot. how is this measured objectively or subjectively, um, but but what are you seeing our clients focusing on in the space before we get into the more of the details? Sure. So we have done. We did a survey last January when it was a little bit um, about six months after we started our ESG collaborative to talk to our clients and find out where are you, what are your 
um, biggest challenges? Where are you finding um, the most value? Where are you investing your time and your resources? We just repeated that survey. Spoiler, it will come out in um, January again this year. And interestingly, you know, it's changed quite a bit. And and this is what's really happened. So a year ago, we had 43% of the 150 respondents say they had some type of ESG program in place. The vast majority of the public companies responded, had a program, and the private companies were more around 23%, with many building a program. Those numbers have increased fairly significantly, where the private companies, because of a flow down effect we can talk about are being almost forced to look at ESG for their for their customers and to meet those demands. And then public companies have the looming SEC regulations. And so if they didn't have a program, they're creating one now. And the number one issue, though, that we heard a year ago is still the number one issue that we're hearing now, which is data gathering and on some level data validation, but data validation less so. The data gathering really means, so if I'm going to reduce my GHG emissions, um, become net zero by 2030, or I'm going to reduce it, you know, 10% a year or whatever that might be, how am I, what's my baseline year where I'm starting to track that? And then where am I keeping that data and how am I collecting that data so that I can prove what I am doing or not doing? And you really need to do data collection for every single goal that you set as a company or a business and you have to have somebody responsible for it. So companies are really scrambling with lack of resources and just where do you, I mean, people are relying on old school spreadsheets and everyone under the sun is trying to sell new computer programs that are supposed to be one-stop solutions to every type of data gathering need. I've talked to a lot of people and, and there is not one answer yet. So that number one challenge has um, really been consistent and I think is what our clients, at least that we're hearing about, are struggling with the most. And how do, how do clients even know what to track? So there's a spreadsheet <laughs> and there are some probably some obvious ones, but then how? what's the ultimate metric? I mean, how, well, sure. if, if you have 99 things, could somebody <laughs> say, why don't you have 100 or 101? No, I mean, it, it's it's what I like to say is you don't want to boil the ocean. So I've had many a panic clients call over the past year saying our customers want us to do SBTI, science-based target initiative, or they want us to do this or that. or um, And what I say is you can't do everything. Let's go through a process while we figure out what is most valuable to your company and to the stakeholders. You're already doing all these things. Let's just pull them on, under the umbrella and let's pick the top five or six that are most impactful. And the, the way you do that in a um, validated, verifiable manner is you conduct what's called a materiality assessment, or I'll call it a prioritization prioritization assessment because materiality is a little bit of a term of art and so we try to stay away from that but what you do is you go out to all of your stakeholders so Thompson Hines actually doing this now I'm I'm helping with our internal ESG program which I'm super excited about and we're going out to our clients we're talking to all levels of folks in our firm everywhere from staff to senior partners we're talking to a few vendors and we're saying what's important to you is it more important to our clients that your law firms reduce their GHG admissions 
or is it more important that they do recyclability or is DEI more important to you or pro bono or a, a wellness what what's what's most important to you and so in, we're, we're doing a survey monkey here which is a very typical format it's usually somewhere from you know around 10 questions and you ask the stakeholders this even if you're a fortune 1000 company you go through the same process a lot of the consultants are doing this we've been assisting a lot with this and then the data comes back and you usually see trends and you see what's most important and so from that data you pick the top five six no more than 10 um, items that are most important and then you you figure out where you are on each item and where you want your goals to be we set up at thompson hine um, for our internal program and esg council we highly recommend companies do that. And you really want to have diversity of thought around that in terms of backgrounds and gender, ethnicity, and all of that. But you also want to have your HR person and your IT person. You know, cyber is a big piece of this. And you want to have all the right people sitting around that table when you're um, developing these goals so that people have buy-in and that you're collecting the data to track the goals. So you pick those goals and then you start the process of collecting the data, let's say around five things. And you see where you are and you look at it every year and you, a lot of folks put it into an ESG report. And that's really the best end game. And then you update that on some regular interval. And it's really your PR statement to the world about what you're doing, but you really need to manage it carefully because the greenwashing litigation is way on the rise and you do not want to subject yourself to shareholder litigation or, or greenwashing litigation or something because you're overselling what you're doing. That's not going to benefit anybody. Greenwashing, basically, you're saying something in, uh, the, about your environmental position that's not accurate, that you uh, recycle more than you do or that you your product is is uh, is recyclable when it's not completely recyclable or sustainable, something like that? That's exactly it. Uh, actually, Coca-Cola just got a claim thrown out in federal court yeah, for greenwashing. It. One of the most famous ones lately is that one of the coffee companies was sued in a class action and the class was certified because they were arguing that the pods were not as recyclable as they were represented. But that ended up settling, so we'll never know what happened. But um, those are the kind of claims that, you know, when I get somebody's ESG report or they ask me to look at website language or whatever, my questions are usually pretty simple, which is, you know, why are you saying it this way? Do you have the data to support this? How can we get the data? Maybe we need to massage it and say X instead of Y so that you're still getting your message across, but maybe not in a way that's going to give you that much risk. So for public companies who are subject to existing SEC re regulations, and I know a lot more are coming all the time, I was reading the daily news today and i know there's there's new ERISA regulations that i think just came out but for public companies how how do how do they comply with with the changing landscape so you know the main um the main impact that is placed on public companies right now is actually from their investors so um, and trying to manage this both at a company level and a board level. You know, what committees at the board level? Is it the audit committee or NomGov or who's going to handle these kinds of things? And do we do a third-party audit of our data and things like that? The SEC rule on climate change disclosures has not come out yet. Only a draft came out. So um, there is a draft. It is 
for your reading pleasure, I think 600 pages long or something, so you could fall asleep pretty easily. And if you're really excited, then you could read the 40,000 or so, com- I, I'm over-exaggerating, but there's a, a million comments that came in. I'll stick with the 600 pages. <laughs> and you know, one of the biggest issues around the proposed rule is it's, um, impetus to try to also embrace and have folks report on scope three emissions. So there's three different kinds of emissions a company can have. Scope one is the easiest one. Like how how much energy are you using, you know, in our building here, in our offices right now? Scope two is where is that energy coming from? Third party providers, etc. Scope three is um way, way down the line. It is what what kind of energy usage is our clients using or our vendors using? And one of my favorite ways to kind of explain this is I was privileged to be on a panel. Um, I'll give Brendan full, full um, credit for this with the ESG, um, head of ESG for Walmart. And he is fantastic and has built an incredible program. And he said, think of it like this. You're a customer. You come into our store and buy a pair of underwear. You take that underwear home. And so we can control how that underwear is made and all of that in, in terms of scope one and two. But once you take it home, for scope three, are you washing it in hot and cold water? How long are you keeping it? Are you throwing it away? What are you doing with it? I mean, when you think about this, it ta- you know, it's just ridiculously extensive. Like scope three would be when, you, when you're going to San Francisco next week on that airplane is a scope three admission, for example. So, so how could Thompson Hine possibly know for its own purposes – what the type of jet fuel it is and what did I take an Uber? Did I walk to, how, it, how do we it, know all of that? It's endless. And so most of the comments to the SEC rule were about the inability for most companies who are even trying really hard and doing a really good job embracing ESG and trying to make an impact to try to get their arms around scope three. But scope three is also about 85% of most companies footprint. So it is important. And what we're really doing is sort of picking small ways to address um, a scope three admission, like things that you control your direct customers. Can you have them fill out certain kinds of data sheets or forms that you can input and rely on so that you can at least, you know, with an asterisk or a caveat, report some form of scope three. So everyone's very much anxiously awaiting to see what the SEC is going to do about that. The original thought was that the rule was going to come out yet this year. Also, the FTC guides were supposed to come out this year. They're green guides, and we haven't seen either. So um, unlikely that we're going to get them in the next. And like, what is today, December first? So I, I. I would not hold your breath that we're going to have it before the end of the year. But we're eagerly awaiting those. And so I, I do think, um, and I can't remember I, I from our most recent survey what the percentage was, but most public companies are trying to comply with the components of the SEC rule that they know are going to be implemented. Because there's some basic, you know, provisions that we all agree are likely going to go through to the final from the draft. And so most of the companies that are public are acting as if that's going to happen. You know, I'm not an engineer, but my analytical-ish mind is struggling with ob- objectivity. So how, how, how do you compare what one company rep- report, gathers and reports compared to another, such that if one company doesn't gather enough in, 
the same information as the other company and their emissions are lower and makes them look better. How does that, how, how is this going to work? It's a really big challenge. So there are all these frameworks that are out there that are various reporting frameworks. And so the reporting framework that the SEC rule has adopted is called TCFD. Um, and so this is basically mostly focused on climate change and the impacts of climate change. And that's the framework, and it's a very technical, you really need a specialist to fill that out. Historically, I would say most clients were using something called GRI or SASB, S-A-S-B, Sustainable Accountability Standards Board. Um, these are know, all just different these organizations? These are all different frameworks. They have, each of these entities have come up with frameworks. And so you, you, there's no definitive required one, but the SEC has really adopted TCFD, which is sort of becoming the wave of the future. Um, it's also helpful to look in the, you know, we don't do most of the global stuff, but um, if you look at the EU, they're leaps and bounds ahead of us. And you can see where we're going by um, watching what they're doing. And they are trying to do something a little bit more universal. So so it is, for example, if someone's reporting on SASB and someone else is doing GRI, it is not it is apples to oranges. So that's why if there's more of, um, you know, there people are merging around TCFD, that will definitely help. But there's also these third parties, raiders and rankers, to your point. So there's Bloomberg and there's other companies like Sustainalytics and um, MSCI and, and others. And these will actually, without your permission, see what you have in the open forum network of the internet and on your website, and they'll give you a rating of how well you're doing in this space, just based on what you put out there. So you pay, you pay the company? They you don't pay the company. Okay. So the, it, it is a little bit of a pay to play because I think they have services they want to sell you. And if you buy their services, then feasibly you're going to do better. But okay. there's there some of them that are better than others. Like Bloomberg is actually, you know, people are, are think that one's pretty good in sustainalytics, you know, but I'm no expert. So they give you a all. free trial. And, they, anyway, right. I'm, yeah. I'm no expert in how, how to best manage those things. Right. But we do hear from clients quite a bit where they say, you know, I'm so upset. I can't believe the ranking we got. And what we're seeing on those rankings is that historically, the last several years before the ESG surge, you were actually rated based on how transparent you're being. Are you really disclosing what's actually happening? Are you letting in where you might have issues, et cetera? But now it's actually impact. So they really are looking to see, have you actually reduced your admissions with certifiable, potentially third-party certifiable data? Have you actually increased your DEI numbers? Have you, you know, do you have forced labor issues? Those kinds of things. So we're moving from transparency to impact. And so, you know, our advice, like my thought, at least personally, I should just say it's my advice, is to not get caught up with these third-party you know, issues, because I don't think at the end of the day, they're, you know, it's much more important that you're talking to your direct stakeholders and getting where you need to be with them. I'm going to turn briefly to how environmental justice plays into ESG. Sure. And, and environmental justice is another one of the hottest topics. It's been around for a very long time, but it's a topic that the Biden administration and the Michael Reagan EPA are focusing on greatly the idea of disproportionate impacts 
um, from industry on certain um, racial, ethnic, um, socioeconomic uh, groups. So how is EJ, environmental justice, playing in to maybe the E or maybe the, the S? S? Both. Okay. I think it's a crossover. I was, I was on a panel um, at American College, um, although we can't share what was on the panel, but um, there was discussion and preparation about whether it's under the E or the S. And um, we eventually agreed to split the baby and agree that it's under both because it was worth considering. And as long as it's under the umbrella, it doesn't really matter. But the um, the environmental justice is critical because especially for our client base who is a lot heavy manufacturing etc and there's two components to environmental justice there's the component that you don't want to have the disproportional impact as you just said joel and then there's also that you need to give the folks in the neighborhoods a voice and make sure they're heard and so it's really about making sure that when you're putting together your esg program you're considering the communities in which you have facilities or remediation projects and how what your impact is on those communities and how you can improve those communities um, in, ter in terms of your relationship overall and your reduction of disproportionate impact. You know, for an example, if I'm a company that wants to expand my facility footprint, I want to manufacture more in the United States, excellent result. Where, where do I want to expand my facility, which may require a new new permit, you really need to think about this, you know, years in advance. And you have to do, you can use EJ screen and there's a new additional um, EJ modeling um, screen effort that just came out that you can use in a combined manner. You look at CDC data, all these different things. And it can tell you if the neighborhoods you're looking at have existing problems. And it's a cumulative impact analysis. So you wanna look at the other facilities in that area as well. And, and for planning purposes, maybe you'll decide, okay, I can put this facility in Texas, but I can't put it in Alabama or wherever you're looking. And it allows you to make those decisions with data rather than you know, you have a shovel ready to go in the ground and they want a permit. And now EPA is arguing, you know, it's an environmental justice community. Even if you meet the Clean Air Act requirements, there's still Title VI and constitutional reasons that a permit can be rejected. So it's just important to think about these up front. You, can, you should be talking to your comms people um, at the company. They should be at the table. They should be in your ESG council. They should be talking to the ops folks so that we're really thinking about, do we want to do informal CAGs, especially at remediation sites, so folks understand what's going on. And it doesn't look sort of like this cloak of contamination. And, and you know, people who do not have the benefit of the science can be given it through third-party help and grants and other ways that can help expedite things for the company and improve the relationships, will, which will you know, take down those hurdles we're seeing quite a bit. Okay. All right, take out your crystal ball. <laughs> it's the end of the year. What, what are the major changes or developments that you see happening in 2023? This is a hard one. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. I'm, I'm I won't hold be, you to I'm it. I'm going to be hesitant to predict, Joel. I, 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 I do think that we're going to see an SEC rule that is just a slightly watered down version of the draft. I think that they'll go easier on scope three 
just because I can't imagine that they're going to have either the enforcement abilities or, you know, what it would take to really review that level of information just as much as our, you know, public companies to provide it. So I do think that we'll see that, you know, based on the number of comments, your Gita would be a really good person to ask this, my, my co-chair of the ESG collaborative, but because she's really our SEC guru. But, I'm, I'm you know, by mid next year, we'll probably have an SEC rule. We haven't really talked about the FTC green guides. Those are really important to understand. They provide companies with marketing and advertising advice on environmental issues, you know, watching terms like eco-friendly or recyclability and things like that. And we're supposed to get updated green guides with regards to a focus on ESG. And I would expect those early next year too. That will be really, really critical because that's going to drive how and what can be said because that can be enforced by the FTC as well as used by individuals. So, So I see that. I also think that most private companies, excuse me, who may have not felt that they had to get on this ESG bus quite yet are like, we're at their stop. They got to get on. And one of the reasons, for example, is um, it's called the flow down effect. So what, it, you know, and I made that up, I, I'm just, but but generally other people have used it too, which is if you have a, um, a customer who's your main customer, who's a big public company, they have to report to the SEC. They want to do some scope three reporting, et cetera, or they want to be able to say that they're, you know, for their own purposes, that they are imposing or working with their vendors, et cetera, on GHG emission reduction, et cetera, they're going to impose requirements. They're going to put them in the contracts. One of the things we're seeing is SBTI requirements. So that's science-based target initiative. That is basically a private certification project process, I'm sorry, for your GHG reductions. And so a company, a very small company, might be forced to go through that certification process, which can be pretty intense because if not, they're going to lose their big customer. And that is something where you have two years to actually meet the certification process. And if you don't meet it, then, you know, you're just sort of out of luck. And so because of the mandate, I think the time is now for the private companies to get on board. So even though our public company friends have been doing this for a long time, I predict that virtually all companies, except maybe very, very small ones, will have some form of an, some form of an ESG program in 2023. So if, if a new client comes to you and they're a private company, and they really want to get in the ESG, they want to do the right thing, they want to be a part of the ESG world, but they don't even know where to begin. They're a, they're a startup, or, or they just haven't done anything in the ESG space before. What, what do we do? What do I do? Do I just send them to you and say, here you go, please help help client? Uh, well, you, you know, it happens. It, yes, absolutely. Your Gita and I usually sit down and we have a brainstorming session. So we make sure we get the right people at the table. It's most often the general counsel that calls us. Calls us. But ESG does not necessarily sit with the general counsel or the in-house environmental lawyer. Sometimes it does. About, I think, under the survey, maybe 30% or so of the GCs host it in the legal department. Okay. It might be under the COO, the CEO, the chief sustainability officer. Offer. So we want to make sure that the pers- people that have the information um, are the ones that um, 
are at the table initially. And then we like to look at their websites and their reports. A lot of them have done sustainability reports, even if they haven't done ESG. And we are able to pull things to tell them by asking a series of questions to show them that you are doing things under the E and the S and the G. And we just have to go through the materiality assessment process in a very streamlined manner. And we can set goals and, and gather data, et cetera. And we've been partnering with some really good consultants consultants to um, that conduct the materiality assessments and we're happy to review them and then review the sustainability report I'm sorry the ESG reports etc and so the goal is to get a client you know a streamlined program one of the things for example we've done a lot of is put together a why ESG PowerPoint for presentation to the board because you really need buy-in at the highest board level because the board's got to own ESG, whether you're private or public, it's really important um, because that's kind of the G, the governance piece of it. That That's incredibly important. So mm -hmm. we have a great presentation we hone. And one of the things we always pull for people is what are companies like yours doing? So one of the ways we were able to help our folks do our own law firm, Thompson Hine internal ESG, is we looked at what are the other AMLA 200 firms doing in ESG, and you know how can we make sure that um, you know we in, take the Thompson Hine innovation values and use it in our ESG program. And what we've done before is we have some great research capabilities in our marketing department, and they can do some research on companies in the tech industry or in the manufacturing industry or whatever. And here are what your main competitors are doing so you can kind of see what um, is out there already and where you might want to go what might be too far where you know depending on where you want to be in the mix so looking at and comparing those companies like your own and what they're doing at, in this space is also a really important first step I think we're gonna stop here <laughs> You've heard enough ESG for no, today. No, I haven't, but I think that we should do another one of these episodes in 2023, give some updates and sure. hit on some other topics. But Heidi, you're a wealth of information. <laughs> I know that you've spent hundreds of hours, maybe thousands of hours um, on this topic. So it's great to boil it down to a uh, a short amount of time to start with, but boiling the ocean is not what we want our clients to do. So it's taking it one step at a time and coming to talk to, to you and your Gita Ashley and some others in our firm. It's a multidisciplinary exactly. program for that. sure. We're, we're really lucky because we in the ESG Collaborative, we have you know labor and employment folks and cyber folks and um, trade folks that are doing the forced you know, human rights stuff and forced labor issues and all of that. So we have an amazing team. And what I think I love the most about it, honestly, is it's so proactive. So a lot of what we do as lawyers, especially in the environmental space, is responding to issues, right? And so when we get into the proactive space, I just get really excited about it because I think there was a study by um, the New York Stern Center for Sustainable Business in 2021. And it says, it concluded by bringing together a thousand studies, they did a meta-analysis that ESG initiatives drive better financial performance because they manage risk, they increase operational efficiency, and they drive innovation. So we're, we love to innovate, so it all fits together. And so when you have the data that backs up the why, it's a lot easier. So for those of those people, clients or otherwise, who just feel overwhelmed by beginning and what's the value? Is this just 
some talking point. They're actually it, there's going to be requirements at least for public companies, sure. but it's also uh, there are benefits to the actual client itself. Hundred percent. You're basically identifying your value to your stakeholders and you're identifying where you might have risk and it really it shows that it has shown a lot of our clients that they have energy efficiencies they're not looking at you know and other things that really are going to lower costs and increase value great all right heidi thank you again uh, that concludes our episode. As a reminder, Environmental Laws episodes are available at iTunes, Spotify, Google, and SoundCloud. And uh, the legal disclaimer that we like to give uh, this podcast is for informational purposes only. It provides general information and not legal advice or opinions regarding specific facts. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast without permission. Heidi, thank you again. Everyone, thank you for listening, and have a great holiday. Bye. Bye.